0: What up y'all this is back with the feedback podcast episode number 180 and in this episode I am joined by Rebecca Reynolds who is a music venue attorney and Cody Cohen who's the CEO of the Red River Cultural District here in Austin Texas and and my good friend Miko you've you've heard me on the show many times so he speaks as a music consumer as a live music consumer uh, this was a great conversation uh, as you know you know the pandemic hit and a lot of people, if not the the whole industry, is pretty much shut down because of it. Um, so we talk about their in, uh, they get to share their insight on what's going on. Uh, some we talk about some solutions, some, maybe some things that that are happening or not happening. Overall, a great conversation. But you know, I think that looking forward, this is this is a conversation that needs to happen. Um, the music industry is is the most vulnerable industry hit by this pandemic so we got to go out there and help out however we can and so i thought this was a great conversation and i hope you learn a lot from it i certainly did and i will definitely keep tabs on that and so should you so because live music is really what brings us together and we definitely need that these days anyway without further ado save our stages let's go you are listening to the feedback
1: podcast with my homie back
0: Welcome to the Feedback Podcast, everybody. My name is back. It's been a couple of weeks. I have to take a break from everything. Uh, so it's good to be back. And for this episode, I'm really excited, really, really excited about this one. Uh, I'm going to introduce everybody. Uh, so returning champ, we got Miko. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard and seen Miko. He's been my co-host, my right-hand man for a while in a lot of episodes. Uh, so he's back for this one. Hello. Uh, we Ron. got Rebecca Reynolds. Oh, sorry. I should have let you say hi. It's been a two-minute break, man. Fucks you up. Fucks your flow up, man. Hello, world. <laughs> it's
2: what I always said.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Uh we got Rebecca Reynolds in the house. How you doing? Yeah,
3: I'm great. Thank you.
0: So thank you for doing this. So you're an uh, Austin music attorney for the Music Venue Alliance. You've been on the show. It's been four years, last time you were on here.
3: Yeah. Wow. How much has changed in the last four years?
0: Yes. Not yeah. much when it comes to Austin music, and we'll get to that in, <laughs> in a minute. Um, uh, but yeah, it was like uh, 2016 when there was the whole Omnibus thing going on. I really got involved mm-hmm. with uh, what's happening in Austin, um, and there was town going on, and I got to meet you, and we did a like, whole podcast series about that. So go back and check it out if you get a chance. And introducing, we got Cody Cohen in the house as well. How you doing, man? Been all right,
1: man. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you for doing this. Uh, So you're co-founder of the Red River Cultural District um, and, you know, owner of Mohawk. It's your own Mohawk, right? No, no,
1: I I just worked there for 10 years. Kept the lights on.
0: Okay. Did a great job there, (laughs) by the way. So um, I wanted to talk about, of course, the reason I'm bringing you guys in is because, you know, COVID hit and it took a toll on the live music scene, not just in Austin, but all over the world. So if you're listening to this, we're going to talk about Austin as an example, but it's happening all over the place, right? You know, uh, Venues are not being able to, to keep up with uh, what's happening with COVID, the lockdown, the rents going up and everything. So I thought it'd be good to bring in knowledgeable people like you guys to share your insights, see what's happening, see how people can help, uh, who's doing it right, and so on. So uh, first of all, how, how's, it, how's it been for you guys? Uh, so far since it hit like as an attorney and as a, you know, member of the, you know, live music, uh, community.
3: Uh, well, you know, COVID has meant some people are working or out of work and it has meant that some people are working harder than ever. And we're certainly not uh frontline workers working in the healthcare industry. So I certainly don't want to sound like, you know, we, we've been, um, you know, overwhelmed as much as, as others have. But I will say that I have, I, I and Cody have been working around the clock since mid-March on this, that it's it really elevated um, the need for us to, to do our work. I mean, it was always really important, but we certainly have found ourselves in the middle of, of a crisis over the last seven months.
0: Cody, what has it been for you?
1: Yeah, I think to- to echo Rebecca's sentiment, I feel like I was doing two or three persons' jobs before COVID and now I'm doing like five. But uh, to Rebecca's point, 98% of the people I know have been unemployed since March. So I'm just, uh, I feel blessed to still be employed and be able to feed my family um, and do the work trying to stand up for and and advocate for our community to keep live music going in Austin.
0: I mean, at, at, at this point, uh, I mean, this this has been an ongoing um, topic that I was seeing earlier, um, specifically in Austin, where the you look into the city for help uh, in terms of funding, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of uh, relief for venues. And this is a conversation that's happening for, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, decades at this point. And it seems like It's every time something. It's like one step forward, two step back, two steps back, kind of kind of deal, where Austin is still growing faster now than ever, and people are coming here and like, oh, Austin is known for live music capital of the world, blah blah blah, and you show up and go, what what the music at, right? So in a sense, it's it's been kind of like a Groundhog's year or decade. Uh, but is it that you know the, the COVID I just accelerated the need at this point? And do you see anything happening that's actually uh, different this time around?
3: Yeah, I would say that the COVID situation made it clear that the government has a role in supporting the venue community in Austin. I think that's where we kind of got caught in a cul-de-sac over the last decade or so is everybody cares about live music and everybody loves all of our venues, but no one was really committed to the idea that the government and the city of Austin specifically had a duty to provide financial um, support for for the venue ecosystem. Um, I think there's a lot of, perception out there that venues were very busy so therefore they were making a lot of money and um is that it the perception yeah, i think so you would you say that cody
1: yeah no i think every time we came discussing the challenges that the music venue uh music venues and the live music ecosystem were facing people are kind of looking mm-hmm. at us like Y'all are, y'all are wildly successful. That's lifestyles of the rich and the famous, you know, champagne dreams and caviar, you know, whatever, you know, it's, and we're like, like, nah, man, that's like the music video. We're just like really good at marketing, you know, like, that's, yeah. like, don't, don't, don't believe the hype. That's like television. We're just, we're over here working seven days a week, like living check to check, um, and dealing with the same problem that everyone else is dealing with, which is a city that's like growing Double in population over 10 years, like kind of industrial age growth inside of a, a global economic system that is quickly leaving behind regular people. I mean, it's like, you know, as I don't need to tell y'all, like, have our wages and have our have our earnings match the rate of increase of cost in Austin. I mean, I don't think this is Austin's fault. This is just the way it works and has been working. Um, but if you want to you got to hold on to the good, you got to fight for it. I would add something. I also
3: think that, oh, yeah, sorry. I also think that you know, COVID created a situation where people had to um, consider a reality without our venues. I think before, um, nobody really kind of took that possibility seriously. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of assumed that if you're not doing well, if you're not going to make it, there's something about the way you're operating your business. It's somehow your fault. But the COVID situation just really leveled the playing field and it forced people to imagine um, an Austin without the venues. And so it's allowed us to have some really meaningful conversations about how important venues are um, to our culture and to our economy. And what, what is the city's role in making sure that we have venues going forward?
2: Now, I'll Nicole, pick- you had a question? Yeah. I'll it on what Rebecca said. You know, she mentioned it's, it, it's, it had been difficult for us to imagine what it's like without the live music venues. We don't have to imagine anymore. <laughs> We're getting a snippet of that. And, you know, they're struggling. A lot of people move here for the culture of Austin. And a huge part of that culture is the music. And I'm going to back up because this was happening before the pandemic, the gentrification conversation that we've had a hundred times on this show. But people mm-hmm. move here for the culture, but then they move in into the building that tore down a live music venue. <laughs> Ironically, it's the same people moving in that are pushing out the artists, but they're here for the artists. It's, it's a problem Austin couldn't solve before the pandemic, and the pandemic has just accelerated that, you know, increasingly. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I can say during, um, to, to, again, piggyback a little bit to what Cody was saying earlier. Since live music and music in general is such a, a cultural staple of Austin, and again, it's why people come here. You almost want to treat mm-hmm. it almost like a cultural utility. I remember during the Omnibus back when we had Rebecca on, I remember a lot of the feedback I was hearing from people in the industry that were at City Hall said, hey, we don't want government handouts. We want just better regulation and policies and a way to do things. And they weren't, Mm -hmm. at least from my experience, they weren't looking to just get money from the the city straight up or in in
3: any sort of way. They just wanted
2: more assistance. That's right.
3: That's right. During the omnibus, they were just asking for fair regulation and <laughs> right. fair oversight. But now, obviously, we have been asking for money because right. we're in the middle of a disaster.
2: Right. And and it's not, Austin's not unique to that, right? This is happening across the country. Across the world, places are losing these live music venues and droves. And it's a, problem known, it's a problem known as yet figured out the solution to lots of little efforts here. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that. Uh, but Have have you seen
0: anything since the 2016, uh, the Omnibus, have you seen anything that was actually promising that was actually in place that it was really a step forward and everybody just rallied around? It's okay. This makes sense. Like, do you see anything?
3: Um, I mean, the the one thing that I was able to kind of maintain um, some presence in that came out of the Omnibus was sound compatibility conversations. Mm-hmm. um but i i will say you know we never really saw an implementation of new policy around that um there was a really great stakeholder process and i think people really started to comprehend we were able to or the city did a great job actually of bringing neighbors and, and music venues together and we had some really meaningful conversations that ended up in some great recommendations um but to my knowledge there hasn't been any real implementation some of that was around um you know how how do we work with police how do we work with uh code um and we were making some progress towards that just before covid so obviously right now we're not dealing with sound complaints because because there's no music (laughs) yeah so i think that those that particular conversation was moving in the right direction, but it's taken a really long time. I mean, like you see, that was four years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, when uh, Cody, when you founded the Red River Cultural District, like you had a specific plan on how you could rally all the businesses in that area—the the restaurants, the venues, the—I mean, the hotels—I think were part of it as well—to really build some a model. It's okay. This is how we can sustain ourselves as a district. And here's a plan. Here's how it makes sense to us. How it makes sense to everybody. And here's how we can make it work. Did anything transpire, you know, from that or was, did the city actually go, okay, this makes sense. This is how we can help. Or was it all like doing it yourself?
1: I mean, I'll give the the city a lot of credit for helping us establish the cultural district. I mean, I, I think when it was first created in 2013, it was more of a thumbs up to the music industry and and to downtown venues. It didn't mean anything. Um, But what they didn't know is it sort of planted a flag in the ground that allowed us all to rally to um, downtown. And then, uh, you know, our our previous business plan probably as music people was, you know, let's keep this neighborhood real shitty because then the developers won't come in and we can just like keep on, you know, doing our thing and like they'll (laughs) leave us alone because you know, it's so gritty. And uh, pretty soon, I think we looked around Austin and looked at ourselves and went, yeah, that's not really how the world works. Um, You know, like not cleaning your room isn't going to make your life better. It's this is like, this is not also how you uh, (laughs) entice new guests and audiences to your venues, like being really dirty. is not like a a badge of pride like it used to be. Um, So I think the first thing the cultural district did was allow us to kind of level up and evolve out of that Maybe kind of immature headspace where we were still snarling and like you know growling at our parents, and and instead became like oh we looked around like mom and dad aren't here like it's up to us to do something about this. We've got to step up and be the leaders for this because no the cavalry isn't coming. The city isn't gonna do anything. Uh, Wealth isn't gonna do anything for us. Um, We'll just be paved under like so many other neighborhoods. So. It brought a banner for us to come together, and the city, through their solely program at Economic Development, actually supported the work that uh, the co founders and myself did to actually start talking. Because folks in the district, they're like, you take Ryan Garrett at Stubbs, for example, he and I had worked downtown within blocks of each other for 20 years, and we had never had a conversation. We'd never said a sentence to one another. It was just you're busy working and you kind of see each other as natural competition and people just kind of ignored each other. But the district really allowed people to come together, sit down at the table uh, and the, at the same time that Rebecca and the and folks from the district and folks from the city were also coming down at another round table that's become music makes Austin to start really talking mm-hmm. about these challenges in more mature uh, constructive ways that that has turned into the work that Rebecca and I and others have been doing for the past five years
0: do you see a move uh, towards the music scene kind of getting into these little pockets? Whereas right now, I mean, it was all concentrated and highly competitive downtown where, you know, foot traffic was really what you were looking for. And now that, you know, we're getting, you know, places are, uh, are shutting down, condos are going up, hotels are going up then the, the the music scene is going to be kind of decentralized more and maybe more accessible uh, to people out, outside of downtown. Do you see that movement happening or...
2: or?
3: I think we're going to see both. I, I, I don't think we're ever going to see a complete decentralization like you're talking about, because mm-hmm. I think that it's within, you know, the Visitors Bureau and downtown and Red River, obviously, to sure. have a central hub. Um, and that's walkable, that has a cluster of, of venues. Uh, I think that's really important for just downtown economics and for tourism. However, you know, we are focused on helping communities outside of downtown establish venues. And that's a very delicate conversation because you have a lot of neighborhoods who are worried about what that might mean for foot traffic or crime or, you know, drunk driving or noise, you know, property values or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if it's done well and it's done in, um, you know, Collaboration with neighborhoods—that there is a desire to have music that reflects the culture of of the neighborhoods around town, um, rather than requiring everybody to go town downtown where you might get, um, you know, different types of programming. But it's not going to be that really organic sort of cultural space that you might get if you have venues in neighborhoods around the city.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think one of the advantages I've always talked about with Austin is that everything is so dense and packed together. It's, you know, when I go out to a live music scene or go out to see music, if I'm at one show and I don't like it or it ends, it's easy to hop to another. And not all cities have that. And, you know, a lot of places mm-hmm. you have to go drive to the next vineyard. It's just it's not an option. And that's a real advantage in Austin. That's why we have so many bachelor and bachelorette parties and meetings and conferences because of that density. It's that helps. But, um, I agree with Rebecca. I think it, it shouldn't all be, it shouldn't all be compacted in there. You know, you see stuff opening up a little bit further down like South Congress and some other areas. I think even way out in West Austin, the Hill Country Galleria area, there's some music venues out there where there were right before the pandemic starting to get mm-hmm. some. It'd be nice to see more of the general community of Austin coming up, as Rebecca mentioned.
0: But to, um, to uh, sorry, go ahead. I was
1: going to say that's a great question because it's, it's, it's hotly debated inside our industry by workers and advocates like us and musicians and government. Um, I think it's interesting to observe that there are three types of music live music businesses, um, and each one of those represents different parts of musicians' careers. You have music venues that have multiple revenue streams, and most of their money is not coming from live music, but often from being a bar or a restaurant. Or, or some mm-hmm. other sort of economic activity. And I think the, those spaces are, are essential and part of Austin's story, but probably cater to early parts of people's careers um, in music as musicians. You have nonprofit spaces, which unlike other parts of the country, we don't have a lot of those, but those are really helpful because they can access public funding and probably really curate the earliest and most raw parts of, of musicians' careers, which is that DIY sort of, cultural scene creation right where people come together and kind of rub friction with one another and figure out who they are before they go and kind of do professional work in harder places to get gigs at then you have Mm -hmm. uh, a third type of venue model in austin which are like full-time live music venues their entire revenue is coming almost singularly from live music and they're open you know five to seven days a week doing that and they're participating both in local music careers, they're participating in regional careers, they're participating in national and international careers, so they be and also in festivals, so they become like the hubs where you see someone day one and you see someone day 50, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you're gonna we're gonna need to keep all those three types of businesses in Austin. But you know, to Rebecca's point, I'm skeptical. That the third part, which, you know, represents the core experience in the cultural district, I'm skeptical that that'll be exportable to many places outside of downtown in Austin, largely because of what Rebecca said. I mean, the neighborhoods have already made it clear they're not interested in having venues there. In fact, they will fight tooth and nail to the death to remove them if they exist there currently. Um, there's just a lot of challenges um, and, and they, there's a perspective there. Like there is sound, there is parking in neighborhoods. There are all sorts of things that if I were a homeowner, I'm sure I would get, you know, I would get a bee in my bonnet about, but you know, um, I just don't see the opportunities in city limits because again, if we talk, if this goes back to gentrification, I mean, I, am sorry to say, I can't follow all your podcasts, but if this goes back to gentrification, where are you going to put the venues? Where do they go? Well, they're not going to Terrytown. I'll tell you that much. And, and it, growing, up, growing up in Austin, the conversation, whenever there's something people want to get rid of, there's like East side, like, how about that? And, but we all know East side's already, East side's already been an entry point for development, for gentrification. It's like, how far East do you want to go? Like Louisiana? Like, what are we talking about? I mean, it's just like, who who wants to have uh, the drums, the beats going at like, you know, two in the morning next door. I mean, some people do, but not many. So I think it's really important not for us to keep for us to keep in mind that there's an ecosystem and a portfolio that we have in Austin and we know Mm -hmm. that we're going to lose people because we have already, but if we don't retain the bones of that, then we are just SOL because I mean, where's it going to, where's it going to pop up? It's all of a sudden going to become too expensive to put a new venue downtown and then it's not going to be desirable to put it anywhere else. Unless of course, perhaps it, it has more of a food and, and, and uh, beer vibe because people know oh it's just on Saturdays or Fridays or Saturdays I don't have to trip too much about it you know mm-hmm. but I, I think there's a space for everyone because a career takes all those spaces so i'm i'm hopeful that we'll get we'll we'll retain that
0: well when you're talking about the comp- the the competitiveness is that a word competition
1: there you go. it's stupid
0: <laughs> see my english i'm <laughs> telling you <laughs> competition com- compet- competition that's
1: like the only thing you're good at so
0: so how competitive it is, uh, between, uh, in the music scene, like you were saying, like you, you work, you know, down the street, uh, with other, um, from other, uh, venues. And yet you didn't really communicate. You didn't, co- not necessarily collaborate, but you didn't know each, uh, there was no sense of community in the sense that, oh, until you came around with the Red River Cultural District, um, And there were all these uh, during the, the, the pandemic, there was all these relief programs. I know there was a lot of talks about how much money was getting allocated, you know, to music and who was getting the money and who was not getting the money. Um, What what was the deal with all that? I didn't quite follow the, there were like a bunch of different, like how many relief programs were were there during the uh, so far?
3: Um, Well, so in the very beginning, um the city took some of the money they got from the federal government in the CARES package and set up a five million dollar um, fund for the creative sector. And that ended up going to uh payments to individuals that are musician working musicians and people who work in the creative sector, so creative mm-hmm. workers. Um We just, as of this last week, were able to get a dedicated venue fund, which didn't come out of the federal relief. It actually came out of a variety of places within the city budget, but we haven't yet gotten that money out. They're still working on how to disseminate that money. Um, And there was, you know, from that CARES package, a small business relief program uh, that was meant for all small businesses in Austin. So a few of the venues were able to get a little bit of money out of that program.
0: Yeah, and I found some some numbers, and uh, I think it was 1.4 million went to arts and entertainment, and 1.3 million went to personal care. And you're like, why isn't the? First of all, why are you getting your hair done and your nails done? And you can't go nowhere. Stupid. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And second, why is it that um, it's still not the priority? I, I don't know like oh, how how is the distribution and the allocation of that money decided? Do you guys have any insight on that? Yeah,
1: no. I mean yes. if we take uh so two and a half million were given to to musicians and creatives, and then uh, we have eight hundred about eight hundred K going to venues from the small business grant, you know, there's sixteen million in that one grant alone, and uh, there were fifteen Allocation places and we were number thirteen and fifteen, so we were like third to last. Why turns a priority? Yep. So you know that if you talk about the brand of a city and being taking seriously the need to retain that brand and all the people that represent that brand as a creative economy, that's that uh-huh. seems a bit of a slap in the face to go. You are that's important. a punch in nuts. You are third to last important <laughs> to us, like the Austin third <laughs> to last important it. live music capital of the world. It's it's like incomprehensible really um but yeah there's i mean I'll, I'll i'll try to i'll try to stay positive with it because i think rebecca and i have been so in the weeds with it it's easy it's easy to drill into the negative experiences and kind of criticisms that we have even if we have to observe some of them but you know the city in in all honesty has stood up programs and delivered money on a timeline in three months that they probably would have taken them three years to do normally for whatever that says Mm -hmm. about the system and the process. Also, our city is one of the only cities in the country that's fully committed all of its funds from the CARES Act, but also actually given any money whatsoever to music or musicians or anyone. Like talking, working inside of NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, I talk to folks Mm -hmm. all over the country every week, and it's like there are plenty of cities that are going, "Our, our, our staff and our city council are just now talking about so what kind of programs do we want to? What do we want to do with this money? It's like, yo, like you got to spend that by the end of the year legally or give it back. Are you kidding me? This is like the end of October. So <laughs> I give some credit there, but I, I think unfortunately, in order to get that money out, they had to make quick and fast decisions about who managed that money and do kind of quick mm-hmm. and quick and fast criteria like coin flip lotteries. So you know, we we I get that that got dollars in hands, but third to last place doesn't seem fair. And again, when I talk to people who are musicians or creative workers, I know people who did the exact same job and uh, put in the same application and one person got it, one person didn't. It's kind of like, and never mind with the venues, you have venues that have been around 20, 30 years that everyone in this room would know and have good memories and feelings about who couldn't apply for it because of some of the criteria hurdles. And I mean, it it was just kind of a mess, I think, from a, a private side perspective, but I will give credit, though, that the city did put something out that no other people had. So that's, I think, why it's so important we look at the money going forward to make sure we get it absolutely right.
3: Yeah, to that point, I just want to say, you know, their their um, focus on getting the money out quickly uh, led to the decision to allocate, you know, to, to answer your question about how did that happen um, a lottery system was put in place. And so it really was randomized in a lot of way. And that's how we ended up with an allocation that doesn't maybe necessarily fit the city's priorities or, or worse, um, the need as established by some of the data that we've received um, mm-hmm. from industry surveys. So we are, are trying to bring down the panic that that might happen again now that we have you know a dedicated venue fund that it's not going to be just sort of a blind random process because what we now know is that if we don't serve the entire ecosystem we're not going to be able to save the live music capital of the world you can't pick one here and one here and one here and one here randomly and mm-hmm. then let the rest of them starve to death um, and then come out of this with an, an ecosystem that's going to be able to revive our tourism economy and, and all of the other parts of, of why the venue ecosystem is so important to our city. So we really need to go top to bottom and make sure everybody has uh, what they need. I, we certainly are aware that there's not enough resources to, quote unquote, save everybody. Um, but we need to try and we need to see how much is needed to save everybody before we can see that there's not enough money to help. Everybody. Um, so it's our uh, proposal that rather than doing another lottery, that there be very systematic um, outreach to every business that um, qualifies as a music venue to find out precisely what they need to to make it through this.
0: So was there uh, was 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 it a problem? I mean, they don't they didn't give an uh, an answer as far as why you got rejected, why you didn't get the the money, right? And that was a very political answer there, Cody. So I can say it. Uh, that was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucked up.
2: Backwards on the Cody's, everyone, just so they know. Yeah, yeah, this is my worst. Uh. Is <laughs> worst. You
0: can quote me. I'm looking dead at the camera right <laughs> now. If you ever listen to this, city council, Steve, I like you. You're a good guy. But come on, man. This is fucked up. Uh, it It just doesn't. It 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 just doesn't add up, and 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 the fact that well, let me ask you this: Is there any model or any city who's actually done it somewhat better that we can look at and look at and go, oh well, I, I, I think Nashville because it's the first music city that I think about. You know, maybe you know Nashville or uh, New Orleans or whatever that's actually done it better, and we can be like, okay, these guys guys, let's see what we can learn and try to apply it here. Have you seen anything like it?
3: Uh, So, no, not domestically. But I will say that our UK partner, which, you know, my my organization is the first chapter of an organization that started in the UK. They were able to get a venue package and they just successfully were able to get, I think, funding for 89% of their membership through that fund. So they've done exactly what we just proposed. They sat down with their membership and and did the casework to figure out how to match up the public funding with with the need uh, for the businesses. So that's the only example I can think of that appears to be successful at this time.
1: Yeah, it's like countries that had good social services and good supports of the arts like EU and UK and Canada and and probably others have ongoing Mm -hmm. support there there isn't a single story in the U S that even meets what's what we've done in Austin. So for better, or for worse, we're pioneers in this. Um, so it is an opportunity. I mean, as on inside baseball, growing up in Austin, this live music capital, of the world thing is a joke. Like in the music scene, we all laughed at that. Like these guys, like who do they think they are? Like, we don't see you at shows. You're the guys that beat us up in high school Like get out of here with all that, you know, <laughs> you know, so It is interesting, though, now that the pride in keeping that brand and that image, though, is making people step up a little bit faster than other people, which is about time. It's like, good. Like, don't put stages at the airport and turn on neon signs bragging on Austin's music if you can't do something to support it. Like, if you can't keep it alive, like, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Like, so step up. So
0: I mean, and it is it is a moniker. And I I found that out um, years ago that and maybe it's not the case anymore, but the moniker is owned by the Visitors Bureau. Mm-hmm. Is that still true? So they own that so that they can get, you know, their job is to bring conventions to Austin and businesses to come do their conferences and all that stuff to fill up hotels and that's how to get money. Uh, and it's actually a separate entity from the city, right? Yeah, And so yeah, they come it's from, a
3: quasi-governmental entity, yeah.
0: Yeah, but they have their own like- uh, marketing team and their own staff and all that. So they operate in their, their target audience is businesses. It's not Joe Schmo who wants to check out some, some shows. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's just sad that it, it's still, I mean, years later, we're still talking about this and yet there is no, not that there's no solution. It's like, it it has got to be disheartening But I'm always curious. What what I've been curious about during this whole pandemic, and any time a crisis like this, um, you see like who can get who gets creative, and kind of like adapt and figure out. Okay, okay, this is messed up. We can't do that. But maybe if I do it this way, that you know, at least I can get some money in my pocket um have you guys seen any model that actually works even like for music venues i mean the online shows are obvious um and i don't know how much that's actually impacted the music scene as a whole but it is an outlet it is an option it sucks it won't replace the actual in-person thing but it is something right i'll
1: say the, Um, the business the challenge is the business plans are tied to commercial leases and how much square footage that folks have right so mm-hmm. if the business plan is I can sell, uh, I can have a sold out show for a thousand tickets and every person there spends at least $10 in drinks per person. And if I do that enough, I can make my twenty thirty $30,000 rent. Like that's, that's the business plan plus all the other expenses. So there is no curbside thousand person show. Um, there's no like to go or delivery thousand person show or selling a thousand drinks a day uh, or selling drinks to a thousand people a day more than a thousand drinks um mm-hmm. i mean you can eat there's a lot of line extensions like merchandise like like uh selling music online like streaming but again the margins on that are are so low like you're, they're so low so i think these are all things that are I think tests to what we need to be doing in the future and adding in more value. Um, because Mm -hmm. clearly it's fragile. And, and I think for any of us as sort of armchair pandemic news experts, you know, we're seeing that these sorts of things like many other disasters are, there's a high probability of us going through something like this again in our lifetime for better, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, so we're going to have to find some more resilience, not just for live music venues, but I think for all service and hospitality, because, uh, we don't talk about all the wage workers and hospitality and musicians and workers that are actually building, not just a city, but this country. I mean, how do you, how do you do that virtually? How do you like clean hotel rooms virtually? How do you like, you know, make food and sell food virtually? I mean, it's incredibly challenging even for an industry that prides itself on creativity and really hard knock scrappiness. Um, So I, I don't know about Rebecca, but I, I haven't seen anyone here or nationally that's being able to turn on a a successful alternate business plan. They're just people that aren't open at all or people that are getting what money they can, knowing that something is better than nothing. Even if, you know, in 2019, this wouldn't have kept their lights on.
3: Yeah. I, I haven't seen anybody pivot to something that's paying the bills, but I have seen a lot of creative what can we do rather than nothing, um, conversations. And a lot of that, uh, depends largely on where you're located, what kind of property you have. Obviously, if you have an outdoor space, you now are in a position where you have a market advantage. Um, and people are definitely learning how to, how to take care or take, take advantage of that. Um, but I also, you know, I talk to venue owners every day, multiple, every Mm -hmm. single day. And there's been a lot of concern over do I break ranks you know is the venue community going to get mad at me if I try to hold the show or if I try to take advantage of the pivot to a restaurant type model just so I can put my workers you know back on the payroll or is it important that we all you know just stay hunkered down until we know what kind of relief is on the way um and my message has just been you have to do what's right for you and we will help you do that whatever that is as long as everybody's. Maintaining, uh, you know, public health and safety protocol. Then we will help you figure out which pivot makes makes the best sense for for your business. But none of them, you know, even the ones that I've talked to um, that have large outdoor spaces and are operating as as um, full capacity as allowable right now, mm-hmm. are not breaking even. They're not. Th- this isn't a business model that's going to help them stay afloat.
2: You know, Beck, I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody. I, I agree with what Cody and Rebecca said, you know, I've looked globally and no one has cracked this nugget. <laughs> other businesses have an opportunity to innovate and pivot and do other things and curbside, but the nature of live music, you know, coming, unlike Rebecca and Cody, right. I don't come from the business side of it. I come more from the, the fan and consumer side, uh, a big one on that end, but I come up from a different angle. And I'm not even—I mean, as a consumer who goes to a lot of live shows, probably one of the people that goes to the most—I um, don't feel comfortable going. I mean, maybe an outdoor show, maybe. I mean, but that's the—that's part of the challenge. Like, even if you can open up, there's a whole other hurdle of will people even come? Um, amongst all this,
3: and and well, and up. it's made the sort know. of existential question about the value of venues. Uh, come to light. Because I remember hearing early on in the pandemic, you know, people, musicians were able to pivot to streaming shows at home. And some were even saying, see, we don't need the venues. We'll be fine. We can do this, you know, Mm -hmm. from a streaming model. But what we now know is that venues provide togetherness. That's what they sell. That is their business model is community and togetherness. And yes, there are ways to distribute uh, the product of music digitally or, you know, in other retail ways. But there is no way to um, provide togetherness um, around music without, without the venue space. Yeah,
2: I, I want to jump back in there and just say that that's a lot of reason why I go to shows. I enjoy the community, the communal experience of being there with other people and kind of sharing that same energy. And you do not get that in a virtual show. And no, it's, it's a loss. It I, I I don't like streaming. <laughs> I don't like these live <laughs> streaming shows. It's basically a music video, ultimately. I mean, there's yeah. a couple nice aspects to being live, because you might see something you haven't seen before, but ultimately it's a it's a set production and it's just not the same. You don't have people around you. And again, hard nut to crack.
0: It it, it is. I I try to think of it like a glass half full kind of deal where okay, we at least we get that if it's not from a consumer perspective. At least we get that. Um there's a uh there's a concert series that's happening in at the the hotspot. Have you guys heard of that? With uh Shiny Ribs and Grupo mm-hmm. and all that. And so it's like, okay, here here's the model. I don't know if they're breaking even or what, but they have a full concert series. You re- you 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 reserve your ticket is a parking spot and you stay in your car and it's all safe or however the safest it can be, I guess. And then somehow, I don't know if they make it work. I would assume so. Uh, but here, here's the model, but they have the space, they have the outdoors, they have all that infrastructure already in place. Um, and so I guess, I, I guess my question is the problem. The main problem is not necessarily how to reinvent yourself. You can't really reinvent yourself. You don't have the, the means to, and, Basically, If you can't take care of your bills, it's hard for you to be like, okay, let me jump on this pivot and do something else. Right. So at the end of the day, it is a money issue. And how to keep the, uh, basically be able to pay rent on, on your venue. Is that accurate?
1: Well, it's, it's also a consumer demand issue on top of it. Right. Because right now to kind of piggyback on what Rebecca is saying we're only, we only have two real experiences that are being offered in Austin for music and for, for other experiences as consumers. And that's um, all fun, no rules, and all rules, no fun, right? Like, that, that's it, right? So I, I think our challenge, especially in the coming days, will be to figure out how to say rules, fun. Like, we can say rules quietly first, but then we say fun. Because there's plenty of people who I think we're, we're starting to get comfortable with what our risk assessment is for all this, what our threshold mm-hmm. for for how we're going to be, create our new normals inside of COVID. And if there was confidence that you could say, go to a show at, uh, at Antone's or go to a show at Empire, other places, if there's confidence that yeah, these people know where I'm coming from. They know I want to have fun, but they're also not crazy. They're just not like anyone come in and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Then people will go out and spend some money there if they have it. So we're, we're, I think this is like a huge opportunity because I don't think we should have any confidence in government top to bottom swooping in and coming up with the solutions or, or, or coming, never mind getting on the same page, even in our state, like forget about it. It's not going to happen. But it's going to be up to us, I think, to produce and create something. Knowing, again, to Rebecca's point, if, say, Empire has like a 1,600-person capacity, Mm -hmm. like them selling 125 seats at a table is like not going to pay the bills or the mortgage. But it's an experience that can be had now uh, rather than no experience at all. And I think, more importantly, all fun, no rules, which, again, there's plenty of opportunity for that experience and for that audience. But I think the really hidden, untapped audience is a lot of folks who, especially for those of us who are parents, shout out to, to uh, you know, music parents. It's like we don't have the luxury of just saying, like, fuck the world, like, let's go party. It's like, oh, yes, except this living creature, this human being depends upon every decision that we make. Yeah, that's uh, not. When that's, you can't
0: make a thought, so, go, fuck, I have a kid. That's, not, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that's what it was for me at first. Like, yeah, I want to do, oh, damn it, I have a kid. I love you, I love you, son. I love you, but... For real. God there's so many it.
1: things. I'm like, you're grabbing my camera, you know, because I, I shoot photography, so I'm like, I'm going to get out here and do this, you know? And my lady's just like, you're a dad. You're a middle-aged dad. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I am. Yes. I'll bo- I'll go put that back down. <laughs> so
0: I I guess so. The, the big ask really for the city is find some money so at least we get our bases covered. Right? Because, I mean, the way it's looking... Uh, this is, I mean, I think I'm not no doctor. I'm no, I'm not Fauci's brother, but it's going to be here to say, we have to learn how to live with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some risk, no matter, no matter what, it's really about what is, this is where we are right now. We're like at the bottom, this is the bottom. And then like how we move up maybe a couple inches to where we can go back to at least doing one thing, like go to movie theater or go to a show uh, or just hang out with my friends. It's just something like just, just a little upgrade. Cause it's been nine months of, yeah, we can do this. Oh no, go back, lock down. Oh, we can do this. No, no, lock back, lockdown. Cause people are fucking it up for everybody.
1: So. Well, it's like trust, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's just like, it's like in a relationship. It's like getting trust back. Trust is not like some floaty in the cloud kumbaya thing. Trust is like literally a purchase like each and every one of us purchase that trust through our actions, through our integrity and our ability to follow through with the things that we say we're going to do and who we are. And once that's broken, it's like, you know, we've all been there. We all know how that hurts and how that affects Mm -hmm. us, but you don't, you can't just, unless, unless you're crazy, you just don't give that trust back for nothing. I mean, I I think we've all tried that at least once in our life and probably gotten our, our hand bit twice, but you know, that has to be purchased back through new good actions through new things that go, okay, I'm building this back up with you. I, I I know we had a moment, but I'm giving you a chance. And I think this is the opportunity with consumers now for venues and for other small businesses to go, what's the new social contract? How can we build trust of you to know that we're going to take care of you if you take care of us mm-hmm. so we can just do what we can do right now?
3: I have a funny story about that, that I heard from a venue owner yesterday who said that they have gotten, uh, three visits from code officers this week. And normally, you know how that goes. Normally they walk Mm -hmm. in and they say, we're going to shut you down. We're dumping the club because your sink is too close to your door or something like that. So it's usually a very contentious relationship, but this venue owner told me that they came in and were just overwhelmed with how, um, well the venues were doing at trying to create that level of trust and just Mm -hmm. went on and on about the HVAC systems and the sanitation systems and the masking and the distancing. And that for the first time, this venue owner has been doing this a very long time in the city. Um, He felt that the code officers were there to help him and had a very, very good experience with them because they they, they now had this shared experience of trying to create that level of trust for the community.
1: That's a great point. I, I think that's something that for for generations has worked against us as a community because, you know, even in sort of side of arts, music and venues don't get the same respect as that other modes of creation do. I, I think I think it has to do with socioeconomics and class, but um, there's also this perception that everyone's kind of like criminals and, and they're like out for themselves, you know, they're like mercenary, like marauders or something. Um, but I, I feel like we've been developing for at least the past five years this like really unusual rapport with the city and with consumers. It's like actually we're like the do goods and the tryhards. Yeah, the <laughs> like, risk takers. Like we care. You know, we might have like face tattoos or whatever, <laughs> but like we really are like big softies in our hearts, and we like are idealists. You know, <laughs> I have a
2: dream, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Times. You know. <laughs>
2: One, one
0: day i'm going to get on that stage i love music man like yeah
1: go for it well let, uh, don't listen to my lyrics i'm really a snuggly teddy bear you know I, that's true i i think
0: that i mean the 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 conclusion I came to 4 years ago when i was part of this whole conversation is that i think that was the title of the podcast you are on rebecca was like uh get help from the city but don't rely on it in a sense that you you can't as, as slow as they they've been moving, and as urgent the need has been, it it's hard to really to go back to your point, Cody. You actually, put trust in the city and be like, yeah, come on, help us out, help us out, help us out, help us out. When you we just heard, you just heard the 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 stats like you're the most vulnerable industry with the highest uh uh proportion of uh. Uh, businesses that rent the property they're on, and you're at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to money allocation. And like, meanwhile, I can see how oh we have a we have a um, center we're going to expand. It's going to cost 1.2 billion dollars. Sure, why not? But it um I oh, fuck, I forgot what's was going with this. Give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. What day is it? Thursday. Th- Thursday. Thursday. Just <clears> on <throat> to... <laughs> Calibrate my, mind again. Calibrate my mind again. yes 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 so are you putting your hopes in this are you still putting your hopes in the city at this point or are you looking into other source of funding the first thing that comes to mind for me is we have all the tech companies here and they came here for a reason and they got money so what's up with that Good
1: question
3: um i so i would say you know the title of the podcast four years ago was, you know, something along to your point, something along the lines of "ask for help but don't rely on the city for your yeah. survival." Or something something like that, yeah. And I think that that the situation is different. Like we said earlier, the city absolutely has, in fact, the point of government is to step in during disasters and, you know, to to provide social services to keep society running through things like this. So, mm-hmm. um, this is a slightly different situation and we do expect our city government, state and federal government to, to create a safety net for this industry to get through this. Because when you're dealing with the loss of business, um, and jobs through no fault of your own, there is a, a, an obligation of the, the government to, to have a role in that sustainability. Um, but to answer your question about the tech companies that comes up a lot mm-hmm. and, the question is, you know, do we try to get the government to force tech companies that come here to pay a tax, which then would bring down the incentives that they were offered to move here in the first place? And some people say, yes, you should have to pay, uh, you know, a cultural maintenance tax if you're going to relocate your headquarters here. Um, but that's an incredibly heavy lift. It's going to be very politically um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Um but that doesn't mean that we can't create an environment where there's um, a foundation that tech companies or other wealthy people could donate to um, to to help support the music ecosystem. And that's something that we've been working on for a long time is like the nonprofit arts world has, has nailed this for a very long time. I mean, they have no problem asking wealthy people for money and that's right, right, largely right. how they exist. But the issue is... Music venues are not nonprofits. And so people get hung up on, well, how do we create a mechanism for people to give money to businesses that are supposed to be making their own money? Um, And music venues fall in this really um, sort of middle ground where they're not like bars where they're making money hand over fist. um, And they're not the ballet where they are, they get the benefit of tax breaks and, and philanthropy, but yet they create the same sort of cultural uh, product that, that nonprofit arts organizations do. So I think that there's absolutely uh, an opportunity for somebody to create a foundation that can tap into the the, you know, as you know, you mentioned the ever-increasing wealth that's moving to Austin to help sustain our culture so it doesn't get abs- you know, accidentally wiped out by by their moving here. But it requires somebody who has the ability to fundraise and to reach out to the people within those organizations to massage those relationships. And we just, I mean, Cody and I can't do that. Um, You know, I think that there's a a role for that. We just need the right person to come along and do that.
1: And uh, support what Rebecca said. I I agree with everything that you said, Rebecca. The only thing to add is I'll say that we have we have attempted fundraising mm-hmm. with with this sec these sectors, and uh, if, if we can even find the right person to talk to to then respond to these sort of these sort of conversation starters, it's so it's again it's so esoteric to them to be like why should we insert app app or tech company what do we have to do with music why are we interested You're in, in Austin
0: that? for like, a reason. What, Fuck off! You got to be yeah, here. You got to well, contribute. I think, I'm I making think it it's sound really
2: easy. I'm
1: sorry, but it,
3: it's <laughs> <first> <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, You should do no, it. Like up. you should be the guy.
1: You're <laughs> like you're like my spirit wolf because we're. I've had these conversations here. I've had them nationally. I think something again that we have to recognize is that in terms of quick and dirty capitalism, it's like what can you do for me? That's always the value proposition. It's not like how can I how can I do good or how can I support yeah, good. Yeah. It's more yeah. often than not. How do, how do I, how do I be profitable sometimes because of, you know, greed, but often because of, I have bills to pay. Yeah. Like my time literally is money. Cause if I don't use my time to pay bills, then I won't pay my bills. So that calculus does enter it into it, but maybe not as one-to-one with tech, but no one in the country, this is a conversation we have at Neva too. This is like part of this actually, if I get really nerdy with it has to do with, um, the perception of established wealth role in society for the past century. I mean, when you looked at the creation of this is like really deep cut shit. I'm, I apologize. Go if ahead. It was, I'm sure some, if of, should, some
0: t-shirt. Quotables. If you look
1: at the creation of like park systems at the turn of the century and in the industrial and gilded age, and and the beginning of philanthropic institutions like Carnegie and Mellon and Rockefeller, starting uh, who are also very controversial historic figures, starting libraries and philanthropies. There's a whole country, a whole culture that emerged from that established wealth that moved forward that kind of signaled as a prestige and cultural value to entrenched wealth that this is part of the privilege of being of this class means participating in the community. We have a civic duty that comes with with our status and with our with our money. That changed from pretty much the 60s forward to, I think probably more relevantly in the 90s with the technology boom, mm-hmm. there's been, with with the new wealth, the new change of sectors and those sectors from which wealth had been appropriated, that cultural value was never reset, recaptured, or reapplied from that new group of folks. And what I hear talking to for-profit venues and from nonprofit cultural cultural institutions nationwide, it's like drawing money from a stone. There isn't a peer pressure to where people go, oh, wait, what? What's up, Twitter? Like you're not given to the, to these folks. Like you're not participating. You're like then you're not like we're not cool with you. There's just no expectation to do good. There's, it's just not even part of the conversation at all. Whereas it was central mm-hmm. to the conversation in, in previous generations. Um, Interesting. Because of,
0: of the, cause the top, yeah we're in Austin, the like, music capital of the world. We want to have our you know Christmas parties, have a band and all that stuff, and yet you're not going to do anything to, to help out.
3: You know, I have had this conversation with some people in the tech world, and they have, I don't want to say they, like everybody, but the sure, people sure. I have had this conversation with have literally said to me, you should be grateful that we're here. Because Sorry. that's what they say. <laughs> you should be grateful that yeah, we're here. We came late. and we brought our tax, you know, taxes, and we're we're creating jobs, and we're creating value in the community just by our very presence of being here. And you all are better off because we're here. Uh, that's enough. What more do you want from us? That is, I have heard that more than once.
1: We should be so. We should be so grateful that they deigned to consider us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's all I gotta say. It's just gross. Yeah, that is yeah. fucking uh. gross. I'm sorry. That, that, I'm not sorry. That's just
1: gross. That's just gross. I mean, you know, but, this is the world we but live. But I mean, in.
0: I'm trying to. We're coming up on an hour here. Um trying to think of uh like kind of look at the future. Um there is well one, uh Colin found an article about a bill that was just uh it's not bad, it passed the Senate. Can you share the screen, Colin, real quick? If you have it up. This is interesting. Is that what you're re- referring to? Rebecca, the CARES Act stimulus package? Uh,
3: Yeah, so this was in April.
0: Um, Oh, this was in April. Okay.
3: Yeah. So the city of Austin has already spent or has already allocated all of their CARES money. So CARES was the first round of federal COVID stimulus. And um, the stipulations are, you know, that you have to spend it on things that are not your normal expenses, that are COVID related, and you have to spend it all before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So the City of Austin set up multiple programs um, and have already decided where they're going to spend all of that money, um, which is why we ended up having to do the Saves Act where they were they had to pull money out of different disparate sources within the city budget because they realized that once they spent all the federal money, the venues were gonna collapse if they didn't come up with something else.
0: So uh, what came out of the of the that October first deadline? Are you, are you guys able to share that? or no? The, the recommendation, uh, the work group that I was a part of for like 20 minutes. Oh,
2: right.
0: <laughs> that was mistakenly invited to I'm like, I oh, had nothing. I can't help y'all with this. I'm so sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Cody and I, and the other folks on that working group included uh, Harold McMillan and Will Bridges and Mercedes and from Avenue ATX and, um, Several four commissioners, music commissioners, I believe, mm-hmm. and we put down on paper um, what what we thought was going to be the best structure for the venue fund. It was then um, handed off to the music commission, which was then presented to the economic development staff. Um, they kind of took it and made their own product out of it. They added some things and took some things out, and then presented it to council last Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, what came out of that was a heavily amended version. So um, some of the guidelines that we proposed in that group that you were originally part of will likely be part of the package, but it's not going to be the whole thing. So we're, we're waiting right now to hear back from um, the music office staff on how they're going to implement this new fund when, when people can apply what the guidelines are going to be. And so Cody and I are trying to just stay very close to the process and be there to help, um, until, until the money gets in the right place.
0: It's already been, uh, voted or is, is there a vote coming up or it's done?
3: The money's been allocated. What hasn't been decided is how to, how to get it out.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um,
2: Beck, I want to note here Nico,
0: sorry.
3: Yeah, yeah I want to note here mm-hmm. we are
0: just
2: talking about laws and what was brought up earlier in kind of relation to all of this. Uh there is a new right the White House and Congress back and forth for a while this fall, but there's a new stimulus bill that's in the works. Whether it passes anytime soon is, is you know, that's a whole other political story. But one of the pieces in it is the let me scroll through here. It's uh the Save the Stages Save Our Stages Act. And so, similar to the CARES Act that provided kind of just a, a, a general fund of things that, that, that you really can't label very well in terms of businesses suffering during the, during the pandemic, this one specifically calls out music and live venues. And there is um, earmarked currently in the bill $10 billion for closed venues and stages, which is much more than the CARES Act had. And it, again, it's targeted at the live music scene. Now, whether or not that makes it into the final package, or something that's negotiated out as a whole other story. Uh, but I just want to note for everyone listening. But that that's pending, and that would help greatly. Now, um, I, I just want to add my own commentary to that. To say I agree with what Cody and Rebecca were saying earlier. Right, they're kind of the kind of industry experts in this area. You can't rely on the government to come with a solution. Right, they're not music experts. They don't. They don't have their finger on the pulse of the industry. What they can provide is the funding, mm-hmm. and it's up to us to come up with the ideas of how best to utilize that. And sometimes it case- takes coming up with the idea first. Before anyone will throw funding at it. Sometimes it's that, you know, chicken before the egg process. Uh, but yeah. anyways, again, Save Our Stages Act. Everyone listening right now, go and tell your congressman. They're listening right now to what the other constituents are saying and say this is something you want voted for, particularly in Austin. Um,
0: I said fuck off earlier, so I don't
2: know.
0: <laughs> I said this is fucked up, but it's it's all right. It's all right. Um, One other thing I wanted to bring up, so Covid related, um, there are if the issue we, we we get to we we get the part that yeah you have to be able to pay your bills you need the funding and everything, but as far as bringing bring, it, bring it, building that trust back uh, that you were talking about Cody earlier, um, I've seen more and more of these 15 minute test kits have you guys heard of those? So like shows that tape audit that have live audiences now they get everybody tested in 15 minutes. You know, Joe Rogan has a 15-minute test kit. Uh, and there are companies already who go, who are manufacturing these kits. And, like, there's one called uh, Beckton Dickinson out of New Jersey, and they just got greenlit in Europe to manufacture and actually just and make it commercially available uh, by the end of October in Europe. So, uh, and there's another one called Abbott Benex now or something that same thing. They're like, yeah, 15 minute kids. It's available. I don't know how much it costs to, 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 to get them from what I saw. It was going to be like five bucks per kid or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's already being implemented in a bunch of places. Uh, rich people have them when they have in parties. I know like Dave Chappelle been doing this summer camp thing and everybody Mm -hmm. goes there, gets tested. And once you're in there, you know, no mask can just do whatever, but you test negative, at least the liability is not on on, on him as far as, yeah, we actually, you know, cost some spread and infected people. So if those kits become available, you know, to businesses, whether you're a restaurant, you're a theater, uh, you're a retail store, you're a mall, you're a music venue, and get to a point where, hey, you know what, if you want to come to to uh, to our venue... We have this 15 minute test you have to take. So you have to show up early. We have your ticket. We have your name, and then, but once you're in there, it's just a show. There's no need for masks. No need for social distancing because everybody in here is safe. Uh, what you guys, how you guys feel about that? Yeah,
2: I want to speak to that first before we get our, our more venue like the business centric focus, folks going because the trust factor is what it takes for. Big consumers like me that have the disposable income to come to shows all the time. Yeah, yeah. You need to get me there, right? And so that does. You can bake that into the price. Exactly. And just have as part of the process. I've waited, in, I've waited hours in lines for shows. So an extra 15, 20, 30 minutes, having to get there early, so long as I know in advance and the expectation set.
0: And an extra 20 that's, bucks. That's
2: baked. <laughs> yeah. And so long as I know ahead of time and it's baked in. Yeah, I'd go today. i totally go and i know that everyone's safe or what have you i'll I'll add that in addition to those those uh i think it's like five dollars for a lot of those tests for 15 minutes yeah um there's they're coming out with a breathalyzer one where you can just have oh yeah carlin i think might have it right so coming out of a breathalyzer one yeah there it is where you get the results back in 15 seconds and it's supposed to be highly accurate it measures you know you're Are you spewing out any COVID-19? And it measures (laughs) different strains. And you know, you just change the little topping on it per person, and boom, I mean, that right there, you'll have a nice quick, you can move through a line pretty quickly that way. It takes more than 15 seconds to process a ticket, even if you've already sold it and check ID. That can just be part of that process. So I think in building trust, that's kind of what venues are unfortunately gonna have to do, and hopefully the government can help. Help the initial cash flow. It's going to take to make that happen, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone's hurting for cash right now. Um, to get those things up and running in these venues, so they can start getting people back and them trusting to be safe when they're there. Um, I think that's what it takes. And as again, as a consumer, I would pay. That would work for me to come back.
0: At the, I mean, I, again, this applies to every business, even airports. Get on a plane, blow this thing. Some lady died on a flight to from Dallas, like the other day, from COVID, like on the flight. Hmm. And you and so you, you the the you get rid of the fear. The only logistically, I don't know how that would work. You know, people waiting in line in one room or the other room or what. And then if someone actually tests positive but he's been waiting in line, so he could have infected everybody. But he was not in my, he was not in my business. He was not inside my establishment. So that's on you guys for waiting in line. But anyway, I, I, what what do you guys think about that? I'll let
3: you take that one. <laughs>
1: I, you know, I, I think something we probably haven't observed is that uh, venues, venues under their 2019 business operations aren't legally allowed to be open right now, right? It's like in, in Travis County, according to the state order, bars can't be open. Now, I know we're playing a lot of games with that, and there have been loopholes for this stuff. But one, you know, if I describe those different business models for venues... One included bars that do music on the weekends and then full-time venues that also get the majority alco- sales from alcohol. Both of those places can't be open legally under a current statute. So that, that's one hurdle. The other is the gatherings of people, right? Um, also prevent, regardless of what we're talking about with safety, prevent like a sold out show happening at Stubbs or something, you know? So I think those, those are two hurdles that, if we could find our way over or through those, then I, I think we could start getting really excited about different safety features and what the costs are and their efficacy and what process looks like operationally to engage in them. But as long as in Austin, as long as we're going, am I, am I a venue or am I a bar that's now a restaurant? Or am I, What am I doing here? And how many people can I come in here? And it becomes really problematic because again, to Rebecca's earlier point, if you got a backyard or open area, you can make a go at it with something, but you can't be a venue like you were last year just by reason of law um, in terms of of how law is applying itself to public safety right now. So, you know, currently you wouldn't even need those those tests to go like hang out at the far out or Empire or some place that's doing some some social distance version of live music venues, but you're mm-hmm. Maybe also a shadow thing to all this is, and this is not to spook people out, but I mean, those venues with larger capacities, the majority of their income comes from touring shows because that's where you sell the most beers, the most long stars to the most heads. Mm -hmm. Um, Tours are not coming online for another year and likely festivals will not be coming online in public spaces in Austin for another year. So, and that's like, that's a moving target also that could get further out. So that's just also something I think to consider not to of course be a Debbie downer or negative, but it's like managing our expectations because, you know, again, shooting photography, I'll go dip back into the old shots of shows and people stage diving and people just like wilding out. And I just feel my blood pumping. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is the thing that brought me in this industry and it's kept me here. It's like a spiritual experience. But then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden that bubble, that balloon gets, you know, and it's like, I look outside the window. I'm like, that is going to be a long time until I feel and experience that again. So I just try to keep my head straight and help keep uh, the, those expectations managed because uh, there are things we can do, but I don't know. Would you want someone stage diving on you anytime soon? I like I don't know.
0: If they all took the test, yeah, I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> well,
3: so I think your, yeah. I think your question is, Can we rely on testing to create a safe environment for a return to a venue experience? And Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to that. It reminds me of news reports of the the recent White House outbreak where people have said, I shouldn't have relied on the testing. Um, Everyone was getting tested all the time, and yet that didn't prevent this. Um, So I don't know if it was faulty testing, that maybe they aren't as accurate as people thought that they were. Or that even if you test negative, you might still have it at a lower level and then you end up spreading it. So they are saying that even if you're doing a lot of testing, you would still need to do a mask and you would still need to do hand sanitizing and other things. So until I got some really clear, definitive information that you could rely on that for mass gatherings from Dr. Fauci, I would say it's probably not the panacea.
0: That's how Europeans do it. As guinea
3: pigs. <laughs> guinea pigs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, you know, we have schools opening up right now and um, they're, some of them are becoming hotspots, some are not. And some of them have a lot of tests going on and some don't. So I there might be models we can borrow from other industries doing things that would apply to music. But I, I, again, I coming from the consumer's perspective, I would feel safe, assuming Fauci and FDA approved it and had been tested, I'd feel safe, Coming there, um, but it's only one factor, <laughs> right now. You've got me there. Cody brought up an excellent point. No one's touring, so okay, yeah. I can come, but who am I going to see right now? And you know that would also need to be in place and going and And it's just going to take a lot of factors happening all at one time, and all of those factors are waiting on the other factors to happen. So who's going to who's going to be the ready first? And I don't know how you coordinate all that together particularly with the way things are federally in government.
1: Right? To your point, and, to your point, Miko, I mean, we, we can learn about what other people is doing. I mean, we can take a look at the EU and, and, you know, things hit hard there early and there seemed to be a more coordinated, we'll say a more disciplined response to this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden people got real comfortable and Germany is like throwing shows with 2,500 people and like the public <laughs> yeah. sitting in. And oh, here we go. I mean, I'm sure you all have yeah. like, apple news just like i do it's like uh uh-oh here comes the second wave you know so i think there's a lot of things to learn in the way we're all like hamsters in this in this huge science experiment just looking at people that are trying to do things or not doing things and going uh not that and okay here's something i can learn over here uh we just want that step up hoping hoping to hear from fauci you know he's like uh he's like our our health spirit wolf right now God
0: bless that man. <laughs> 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 but we're all just looking for one step up towards whatever normal is. Because let's be realistic, it's not going to be a vaccine. And if and if it, see see what happens, I'm telling you about the stuttering. Uh, and if there is going to be one, you know, politicians going to get it, athletes are going to get it, celebrities are going right. to get it, and then Joe, you know, Joe Schmo just wants to play his guitar. It's not going to get it. We're not going to get it. No. You know, they they actually had to have. I saw there was a meeting about heads of pharmaceutical companies who are working on the vaccine had to had to come out and say, we are not going to do this for profit. And we're like, yeah, right. Yeah. And it's not it's not even a global effort at this point. It's like Germany, their companies are doing stuff. Pfizer and our U.S. companies are, are trying to work it out. Whoever gets it, it's a race. It's not like a global effort where we said, no. okay, give me the smartest motherfuckers in Japan, the smartest motherfuckers in France, and the f- smartest motherfuckers in the U.S. Let's put them all in, in the room and then figure this shit out because it's global. And you throw in, uh, uh, you know, the greed and the, the capitalism and all that. And next you know, like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, what's in it for us?
1: It's like a sacrifice. You no,
0: know, must be glad that I were doing this for you guys. I'm like, "What the fuck
1: are we dying? I'm like, come on. I know, but, but you know what? There's an upside to that. I mean, think about it. How how often are working people getting pigs? It'll be interesting to see the the tables turned. Like, well, look at all the privilege. Let's see how y'all are gonna be the first ones to test it out. I mean, I don't care if it was available to me tomorrow. I'd be like, mm, not yet.
0: Exactly. Uh, not <laughs> so we have another. You have another year. Easy
2: of living with this. So go ahead and price it $5,000. only rich people can get it. That's okay. In the beginning. Yeah. It's like,
1: (laughs) cool. All
0: right. We're going to wrap this up. So how can people help at this point? Uh, uh, I guess you guys can go ahead and give some tips on that. Anything that people can do besides donate.
3: Uh, you know, I don't know that. I mean, yes, donate if you can. There are a lot of venues who are launching GoFundMes right now, and I'm certainly not going to tell anybody not to give to those. I think if that if that's something you can do, please do. Um, but something that's more effective. Now now that we have the city funding on the table um, and we've got a lot of people uh, inside the city and outside the city working on how to get that out as best as possible, then they're really... The best way for people to focus now is what you mentioned earlier, is to contact your senators and congressmen and tell them how important the Save Our Stages bill is. Um, Because what's happening at the city was only meant to be a layover between the federal packages. It's not going to be enough to last forever. Mm -hmm. We absolutely are going to need some more federal funding and it will make it so much better and more effective if it comes in the form of the Save Our Stages bill. So it will be directed for, for venues.
0: I mean, winning election season, is there like a candidate that actually supports that? That's, that actually supports some kind of that live music fund or?
3: Yeah, there, it actually has incredibly broad bipartisan support. And that's something that we've learned about music policy is that it's something that it, it's a political win for everybody, which is really great because it's what music does. Music brings people together that maybe normally wouldn't hang out together, mm-hmm. um, including politicians. So we've been really careful not to kind of criticize or go after a party or a candidate because we're so grateful for the fact that that this um, policy effort is bringing politicians together at a time when they aren't able to agree on anything else.
0: Anybody you want to endorse?
3: Yeah,
2: I, I, will, <laughs> I will jump in there um, just as far as you can help. And again, I'm coming from the consumer standpoint. Um, I'm going to show off something real quick. Let's see if I can get this. I bought a shirt from... Oh, yeah. From uh yeah, from Walker. Walker, shout out. Ugh. So as soon as the pandemic hit, I saw the shirt come up. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, I love that. We're all local here, you know. Um and anything I can do to help the venue that I, I frequent quite a bit, I'm happy to do so. And I encourage everyone to do do that as well. Uh Byron, my roommate, longtime friend of the show, and and uh former former Carlin in a way, um, he <laughs> did the same thing as well. There were there were like care packages or something. Some of them were putting together, and he went and just bought them. Not that he wanted it, but just kind of the support, like nice little things. Um, so you have ways to support your venues like that. If they open up even briefly and you feel comfortable, go out there and support them. Even support just a little bit, right? Support them now so they'll be there later when everything's normal. And same thing with your artists. I mean, they're struggling too. A lot of, particularly a lot of smaller artists make most of their money doing live shows. Yep. You can get 100,000 streams on Spotify, and that's like 100 bucks. And you can make more than that on one show in on one night, right? And they get 100,000 streams in a whole year. So in addition to streaming, buy their stuff, buy their vinyl, buy their merch online, and just help them out. Spend your money where you want to spend it after the pandemic is over, is what I would urge.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would support the, both the things that y'all are saying, I mean, in terms of real practical support. I mean, I might, I might get a little philosophical with it. I think inside. Give us a quote. In, inside, a quote coming up, guys? I mean, you know, normally you could say, you know, things aren't so bad. You know, it's not like the world is burning. The world is burning right now, right? The world. <laughs> hey, literally oh, that was inspirational. Well, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I was. I'm going to say that. You know, I hear from people every day. You know, from all walks of life who love music and want to support, and they constantly ask me, "What can I do? How can I get involved? How can I support?" I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, but but living and surviving through this even in the early stages, I think, of the pandemic. We we just feel helpless. We feel like we gotta be engaged. We feel like we gotta we gotta sign the petition. We gotta get out there and do what we can. And there are instances certainly where getting out and protesting and, and getting hyper engaged is absolutely necessary. But I want to remind people too, especially from the music community. Our community is disproportionately affected by mental health, uh, mental illness, addiction, homelessness. What you can do to help is to take care of yourself right now and survive. What you can do to help is to take some time, log off of Facebook, turn off the newsfeed and the TV and do whatever you do that's your version of meditation or getting into, putting your headphones on, get into the song. Like, Take care of yourself and feel that love and feel that beat because as long as you're still here, and that beat's still pumping, live music is gonna be here, and we'll all be able to get back together.
0: Can we do a slow clap? Dude, Mike. I drunk.
1: I can I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to
0: end the show on something else. I'm like, yeah. no, never mind. Cody got it. <laughs> I'm not saying anything else. I cannot talk I, that. I was saying, Thank you. Good night, everybody. No, <laughs> this is great. Nah, this, this is great. Um, I want to thank y'all so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. We we'll want to keep the conversation going. Um one way to, like, uh, I read, like, the Austin Monitor a lot because they, they keep up with what what's happening. So AustinMonitor.com, you can uh, see what's going to come out of this uh, live music fund thing. I'm sure you're going to cover that. Uh, do you want to plug anything? What, how, how to follow you, the Red River District, cultural district, Instagram, social medias? Sure,
1: sure. You want to plug? Red River cultural District dot org or same, same name on Instagram, Facebook. Also, Banding Together, we're going to announce another distribution for musicians and workers in Austin. So if if you can, go check out Banding Together. And if you can donate, please donate to that. That's a way of of taking care of people, buying groceries for people who are unemployed or just having a hard time right now in our community.
0: Rebecca? Rebecca? You want to-
3: well, uh, my social media is not nearly as cool as Cody's, uh, but you can always find me at music Alliance, austin.com. Although I, I will say that that website is more venue facing. So if you are a venue owner, uh, I probably already know you, but you can always find me there. And, um, I try to try to keep the press coverage current, um, on there, um, and, you know, uh, there's always people wanting to know what's going on in the music community. Today, KUT launched their pause play interview with myself and Cody and folks from Scratch House and from Cheer Ups. And so I encourage people to listen to that to kind of hear a, a little bit deeper dive on on what's been happening over the last seven months for venues.
2: Nico, anything to plug? Sure. Um, I write for The Down Market, always have for years. So I'll plug them at The Down Market on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my roommate Byron takes photography for them at The Down Market. Shout out to Byron. Yep, shout out to Byron. I will plug the feedback podcast, which I still love and support. Uh, Thank you. So make sure you give back a follow as well. If you're listening to the show, you should be following and liking it. A lot of good episodes. I was listening to some old ones in preparation for this one. And they're really good. I 180, man. To some of these seven so, years ago,
0: I started this thing. <laughs> yeah,
2: you did. <laughs> so yeah, fun, buddy.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So as always, yeah, follow the feedback everywhere on the social medias and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, stay safe, stay strong. Uh, we're all here to support and yeah, have a good night. Thank you so much, Cody. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Mika. Always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time. Ciao, ciao. Bye world.
3: Bye.